Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And And you're listening to Fathomless. What is up, everybody? What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back. We are back on our regularly scheduled bullshit. Regularly scheduled bullshit. Um, No more Bridgewater Triangle. No more. more. Um, I mean, unless, you know, something cool comes up. Yeah. Maybe we'll do another multi-part series of something. I don't know what. I could probably come up with a couple. Yeah, Salem Witch Trials might be a a two to three-parter. I feel like, you know, we got like a... History with Amanda's kind of like a multi-part series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is a um, bulk recording day, like all of our sessions. So yep. we're at that point where we're uh, on our last episode. We're just so looking at each other funny. <laughs> our banter is not as, as bantery. We but didn't you really know banter too much. No, we did pretty good. A lot of my cases, I just dove right into it because, you know. I just I had a lot that I wanted to cover. I feel like nothing's like really worth talking about. I don't know. Like, but by the time this comes out, it'll be what after Thanksgiving. So we it'll be after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. So just if like you... work's been crazy for both me and Amanda. And it sorry has. for not so active on like posting. Like, our oh my cases. god, I've been a nightmare. It's just been like a busy time of it's the year for us. Wicked busy time of year for us. And um, yeah. So this but you know what. This episode will come out after Thanksgiving, so yes. hopefully it'll slow down a little bit. Yeah, after December shouldn't be too crazy. Our end of year at work is the end of November, so hopefully yeah. after November it won't be so hustle bustle. Th- same things are busy's good, slow, but we're also like but, at this time of year we're also prepping. Like we're already like literally my meeting on Friday. We're talking about 2024 numbers. Yeah, and, like, I'm sure we we'll be for talking our first about quarter that. of 2024. Um, yeah, so it's uh you know, work's been been a little crazy, and also my family, like all of October, had a million things going on. And also, like October first, Sean proposed to me, and it kind of like I swear, like my brain like shut down. For, like, oh yeah, three once weeks. you get engaged, it's, like just, all like, you can think about is your not, own wedding. Yeah. So, and what you want to do, what your vision is, and all this stuff. So yeah, and we're adults, and we have lives, and we have homes to clean, and and pets to take care of, yeah. and we're human. So I don't think. Anybody really gives a shit? No, um, no one's like, "Where's my post?" No, nobody fucking cares. But you know, um, we're gonna get back. We're, we will be more consistent with it, especially after the holidays. Um, yeah, I'm going to North Carolina, to be, so no, going away on another trip. Look at going you, to see you're my just going everywhere. Well, you're supposed to go to Texas, and we're not going to Texas anymore for I don't know why reasons. And so we're like, all right, we got the days off. Let's. Go to North Carolina. Go see my mom. So there you go. Now we're going to that. And then next week, um, we're doing a little Friendsgiving. I know. I can't wait. At my house. Going to have some friends over and everyone's going to bring a plate of some sort. And we're all going to try and find a place to sit in my house because I have a little fold up table with like five chairs and then a little two person table with two chairs. And it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be Somebody fine. might end up on the floor or the couch, but. We'll make it work. We'll make it great, but it'll be so much fun. So, but yeah, that's all that's going on in our lives. And we've got Christmas coming up. Oh yeah, it's today is November fourth, so it's Christmas. It is. It's Christmas. So Merry Christmas! And by the time this comes out, it's going to be even closer to Christmas. 
So, so yeah, I want to go for Happy Hanukkah, Happy Hanukkah, yeah. Blessed Yuletide, all those holidays. All holidays, whatever you celebrate, winter solstice, whatever your heart desires. You know what I celebrate? The holiday menu at Starbucks. Yes. Caramel brulee is my fucking Fuck. shit. Yes. Also, I kind of have a little beef with Starbucks right now because they did not bring back the toasted white chocolate mocha. <gasps> It is not the same as the regular white Rude. chocolate mocha that they have year-round. The toasted white chocolate mocha is superior, and they did not bring it back. Starbucks, why do you, why do you hate us? Why do you hate me? I, I'll why forgive you, you for the us? caramel brulee, but... No, thank you for bringing that back every year, although it should be fuck just the peppermint on the menu mocha. permanently. Fuck that yeah. chestnut praline bullshit. Who the fuck is getting a chestnut praline coffee? Bring us back toasted white mocha. Yeah. Please and thank you. Thanks. Um, all right, so let's just hop right into today's episode after yes. a little bit of banter. Didn't yeah, give you today too much is, is to one of the, through. If you type up, like, true crime cases in Massachusetts, this is one of those ones that pops right up. Oh, it pops right up. That's why I didn't want to do it right away, because it's every fucking podcast has done this episode, you know, but being a New England-based podcast, you have I, to, I have to cover the popular ones. We do. And I'm just trying to get the attention out there. And you know what? Yeah, her, her nobody's been charged in this case. It's unsolved to this day. Um, but we're gonna be talking about the disappearance and murder of Molly Bish. This case makes me so sad. Yeah, this case sucks. All these cases that we do fucking suck. Um, but that that's just the true crime world. But this case is super popular, and you know what? Now that we're over a year into this, I can start to throw in all these pop i'm definitely gonna cover like like i said like more amari like yep. all these very popular massachusetts new england cases uh, one from boston i want to do is karina homer yeah the the maid that went yes. missing yep. or found in the dumpster yes yeah my dad actually suggested that case i got you ray i'm working on it <laughs> so amanda will do that one so molly was 16 years old when she disappeared from her hometown of warren massachusetts during her shift as a lifeguard on june 27th 2000 Ooh, that's andrew's birthday and answer baby also um warren is the area um where like sarah my college roommates from yes she's from where but i've been to these towns that i will mention and it's just it makes it all that more real when you're like oh my god i've been there i know people that live there it really does um so molly ann bish was born on august 2nd 1983 her parents were John Sr. and Maggie Bish. Another John. Another John. Well, he's John Sr., so there's two Johns. Oh, God. She had two older siblings, Heather and John Jr., and they were all three years apart. So it was like Heather, and then John Jr. was born three years later, and then Molly. And Molly was 16 at the time. Heather was in her 20s, in her young 20s, they were just starting to become, like, cool with each other. Yeah. Um. So they were pretty close. So the Bish family was originally from Detroit, but John Sr. and Maggie knew that that just, like, wasn't the place to raise their children. So before they, I don't know when, but I know it was before they had Molly, they decided to put down roots in small town Warren, Massachusetts. Okay. So apparently a huge deciding factor in this move was because a little girl had been abducted near their home in Detroit. Oh, and like how crazy is that, that they moved to get away yeah, from get away that from and it happens to them. It happens to their child. Oh, my God. So John Sr. worked as a police officer 
or probation officer. Sources differ. He could have worked as a police officer. And then some kind of law enforcement security. Yeah. Um, But Maggie stayed at home to raise the kids um, until they were old enough to go to school. Okay. So Molly was described as a funny, kind, outgoing girl. And she had the personality that just everyone wanted to be around. Like, you couldn't not like her if you tried. Yeah. Um, She was an honor student. And she was just finishing up her junior year at, I'm going to butch this name. Is it Kobog? 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 What's it? Q-U-A-B-O-A-G? Yeah, Kobog. Regional high school. And she played many different sports. She played soccer, basketball, softball. Um, So just multi-talented, good student. And she had a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance. And they'd recently gone to prom together. So That's cute. Yeah. And Molly just loved life. She was just at the prime of her teenage yeah, years. Yeah, just being a teenager, going to high school. She was, like, super responsible, though. She um, was. She had, like, a job, too, right? Yeah, so we'll get into that. Um, In the summer of 2000, Molly got a job as a lifeguard at Commons Pond in Warren, which is a recreation area. It's, like, a man-made pond, and it's just surrounded by uh woods. Just yeah. a typical... It's like a nice Massachusetts little, pond. Yeah, typical Massachusetts pond. They got picnic tables, yep. like swimming lessons. Yeah. So um Molly's brother John actually worked at the pond as a lifeguard himself for a few years, and he was basically like giving his post to Molly. His sister. And That's... he was showing her the ropes Aww. and kind of trained her. Um, but Molly would only work eight days at this new job. Oh my god. Yeah. So on the day before her disappearance, this is June 26th. Molly's mother recalled seeing a man with a mustache. He was in a white car smoking a cigarette in the parking lot of the beach where Molly's lifeguard post was. He was seemingly, like, watching Molly. And this just, like, threw Maggie off. She knew the vibes were off. Rubbed her the wrong way. Oh, yeah. She's like, this creepy guy's looking at my daughter. Yeah. Um, so she waited a while before leaving and watched the man eventually drive off. So just... Keep that in mind for later. On the day of her disappearance, this is June 27th, Molly's mother Maggie drove her daughter to the police station to pick up her two-way radio. This is just like, there were cell phones at this time, but they're not like they are today. I knew a lot of people who had two-way radios and would use those to communicate. Uh, One of my friends would have it, and if she was riding her bike through the neighborhood, her dad would be like, make sure you take the radio with you so that I can get in touch with you. Yeah. So um, this is like to alert the police just if anything happened yeah. at the um, pond, if there was a drowning or an incident, whatever it may be. So, sorry, lost my place. Da, 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 know, da, sorry, da, da, da. I distracted It's okay. You. So after they pick up the two-way radio, they drove to Commons Pond, and they arrived around 10 a.m. And Molly's mother took note that she didn't see this strange mustached man in the white car from the day before. And she knew swimmers and parents were about to arrive. So she, you know, just dropped her daughter off. Molly Felt it was safe to just yeah. drop her off and go. Molly said that she loved her, hopped out of the car, and then just went to go set up for the day. So the swimmers realized when they arrived that they didn't see a lifeguard anywhere. There was oh. nobody on post. But a pair of flip-flops, the two-way radio, and an open first aid kit were found at the post. No Molly to be seen anywhere. One of the parents actually took the lifeguard post for the day because somebody had to do it. 
I don't know if she was certified or not. Don't ask me. Yeah. Um, but Molly's boss was informed that she was not at work. And this was around 1145. So almost two hours later. And he contacted the police right away. Just the police. He didn't call her parents at all. Three hours would go by before the police would contact Molly's parents to inform them that there had been no lifeguard on duty all day and that Molly's stuff had been left unattended at her station. Their initial thought was that Molly was just being a teenager and must have skipped work to hang out with her friends. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mom always tells me the story about how she used to work at this pizza place in Plymouth and then she called out sick and went to the beach. And then, like, I guess her boss was, like, at the beach that day and, like, saw her there I'm and dead. she got fired. <laughs> um, so this wasn't the case. And I think it's just, like, kind of awful the police kind of jump at this conclusion, especially since her belongings were there. She didn't just skip work. Yeah, that's that would be the first red flag to me as an investigator. I'd be like, okay, why would you, especially your flip-flops, are you going to leave your flip-flops there? I could understand leaving, like, the, the first aid kit and the radio there. but. To just leave your flip-flops there, like your shoes? Like you're just going to run around barefoot with your friends? I guess so. I, I don't know. The police weren't very it's smart, like, I guess. Why didn't you call the parents, like, right when you I I think, I, yeah, he should have called the parents fucking right away. But just to be like, hey, is Molly there? Like, did she go home? Yeah. Like, And so, yeah, it was just kind of weird. So that was just a big detail that kind of comes up. But also that same morning before going to work, Molly had received some horrible news. Her one of her close friends had been hit by a car and was in the hospital. Oh my gosh. And, yeah, she was in the hospital in critical condition. She had just started this new job and it was the first day of swimming lessons for the kids. So she decided to do the responsible thing and go to work because she just felt like she had her duty to fill. Yeah. Like she, um, she made a point to take the job. She has to, you know, do her job. Yeah. Um, which just again shows how responsible she is and yes. shows that she likely wouldn't have just just dipped from her position. And her family also reported that skipping work was just like so out of character for Molly. Yeah. So Molly's family began calling her friends to see if anybody had seen or heard from her. And by the afternoon, the Massachusetts State Police had been called in to assist the Warren Police Department with the case. So I think that's really great that they got him involved that array because like Warren is definitely a small town. Like, yeah, they, I don't think they are equipped to handle. That tends to be the, the common thing in Massachusetts. It was the same in the Ashley Bortner case. Like, right when they discovered what they had on their hands, they brought in the state police as well as the Bridgewater police. Um, so the pond and the beach were extensively searched because another suggestion was that she may have drowned in the pond. Um, but nothing came about this search. I feel like it would have also been difficult to search the beach yeah. for clues because it had basically been trampled all day by swimmers right? and yeah, families. Exactly. And it wasn't considered a crime scene till much later in the day. Yeah. So even... So you, any footprints really wouldn't have led to anything or, like, if you saw any evidence, like, how, how could you determine if that was from one of the patrons that, that was at the beach all day or and it's if sand, it was from it's like, Molly? It's ever-changing. Like, yeah. you're not going to really see footprints. Exactly. Um, so, if even they if... they blocked it off, you know, yeah. when they first noticed it, and it was just her on the beach. I know you don't want to, like, had jump chance. to conclusions that she's, like, missing, but, like, yeah. it would have probably yeah, helped. Yeah, you never want to incite a panic, but, like, you should also, you know, 
cover all your bases. Yeah. But, you know, she's a lifeguard, so you're probably thinking, like, if she's a lifeguard, how'd she drown? Like, it's People still drown all the time. Oh, yeah, it's still very possible. And I read in a few sources that her brother even dived in the water to, like, search for her. And the police were like, okay, like, we have to conduct our own search now. Like, yeah. we need to. I, I, but he felt like he had to help find his sister. Ugh. Maggie Bish felt it was important to mention to the authorities about this strange man in the white car. Oh, yeah. um, from the previous day, another witness reported seeing the man in the parking lot minutes before Molly arrived, and another local reported seeing a car similar to the description of this strange man and his car parked at a nearby cemetery. The cemetery had a path that was connected to the pond. Ooh. Yeah. So Maggie Bish described this man to a sketch artist. Okay. Um. And a composite sketch was made, and I will show you the picture in a few minutes. Um, I'll pull it up in a second. But this is when the extensive search for Molly really began with, like, helicopters and police dogs and people from neighboring communities. And they were just joining these searches, helping out, passing out flyers, doing whatever they could to kind of help. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Because it was of like a wooded area around it too. So like they had like a lot of, th- like they had a lot of area to search between the beach, the pond, and the woods around it. Yeah. So, I mean, and if it's someone in a car, like, yeah, then they could have taken her anywhere. Exactly. I hate that. I hate that so freaking much. So it was the largest and most expensive search for a missing person in Massachusetts history. I believe it. Molly's case is fucking huge, massive, and it's been featured on several TV shows like Disappeared, America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, and 48 Hours. So, like, all the fucking all the shows. big shows. Um, here is a picture of the sketch. Oh. Yes. I also hate that he looks like every average, like, man in the area, too. Yeah. Like, the dark I'll, hair, the mustache. I'll show you pictures of, like, the suspects compared to him, too. Okay. Um. So, it was theorized that somebody could have faked an injury and asked Molly for help, and that's why the first aid kit was left open. And that's how they got to her. Yep. And, like, all of her things in place like her towel was draped over the chair her flip-flops her backpack was open to a radio there yeah. was a whistle left behind so it wasn't like she left that area someone must have taken her from that area yeah um so they think she must have been attacked or abducted when she like bent down to open the first aid kit uh she was a lifeguard she wanted to help people so if someone comes up to her injured yeah she's completely vulnerable having to come down from her post and she could have been taken down the path of the cemetery where the car could escape pretty much unseen. Yeah. Um, so remember in 2000, surveillance cameras are really not Far around. and few in between. And if yeah. they are, they're like that shitty CCTV footage where it's that's glitchy. like black and white and grainy. And- yeah. Um, we already said the cell phones aren't like they are today. No, they're not like they don't have your location really at all times. You're just like pinging a tower and it's anywhere within that general vicinity of the tower. Yeah. So, you know, please set up a tip line, but unfortunately nothing concrete came through. Uh, Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months and these months eventually turned into years and there would be no sign of Molly or her abductor. This makes me so sad. 
So in the fall of 2002, a hunter saw a blue bathing suit in the woods on Whiskey Hill in Palmer, Massachusetts. And this is a town about 20 minutes from Warren. In May of 2003, he mentioned this to a man named Tim McGuigan. Why McGuigan? This guy named Tim. And sorry. Quite and, a he, name. and he contacted police and a massive search the area began on May 12, 2003. Molly was wearing a blue bathing suit on the day that she disappeared. So they were like, this is this is seems important. And yeah. hundreds of searchers scoured the area in the shoulder to shoulder like search fashion that you see people doing. Oh, yeah. Um, the terrain on this hill isn't the easiest to navigate. So finally, on June 9th, 2003, Molly's body, more like partial remains were oh. found five miles from her family's home. She was Ugh. right there the whole time, which is frustrating. I hate I hate when it's like they're a fucking mile away from their house or like right there. And like, it must be so terrifying for them, too, because that's like it's a spot that's familiar to you and you know how close your home is. It's like so fucking sad. A cause of death was not determined, but it was thought that her remains had been buried after being murdered. So they don't even know how she died. Ugh. All right, so let's get into some suspects. All right, so the first suspect doesn't really go anywhere with anything, but worth mentioning, in 2005, a Connecticut man was charged with attempted kidnapping. He was just briefly considered a suspect in Molly's murder, okay. in Molly's murder, but it just pretty much questioned. It Similar was kidnapping out. spirit, like circumstances. Oh uh, yeah, so I'm sure they had. Thought... A, I'm sure they had a few of those. Yeah. So, seemed to fit the MO. But there were two main suspects they were looking at. So, in 2008, a Florida resident named Rodney Stanger was Gross. convicted for the murder, more like butchering, of his girlfriend, Crystal Morrison. Ooh. He lived in Southbridge, Massachusetts, not too far from Warren, for 20 years. Oh. And then he moved to Florida just a year after Molly's murder. Now, he doesn't Ooh. become a suspect until 2008. Okay. Um, so eight years after the murder, it was, it wasn't, um, sorry, it was Crystal's sister, the girlfriend Crystal that was killed. Um, it was her sister Bonnie that alerted the authorities about her brother-in-law's possible connection to the case when she was going through her sister's belongings after she was killed. She found items that she knew didn't belong to her sister. These items included, like, hair barrettes and just, like, other personal items that were not age-appropriate for 50-year-old Crystal. Yeah. Weird. Bonnie described them as being kid things. She also found a Massachusetts gun license, and his photo on this license was very similar to this composite sketch of the man suspected in Molly's murder. He drove a similar car to the white vehicle seen right before Molly vanished. And he was known to fish at Commons Pond, and he would frequently hunt in the woods in Whiskey Hill where Molly's body was found, or her remains, rather. Bonnie also reported that she spoke to her sister about a week before she was killed, and she expressed that, um, or was kind of dropping hints, that Rodney was involved in two other cases, and um, she said that, I think he's going to kill me. Oh. 
So Rodney, she may have knew some stuff. Yeah. So Rodney Stanger was also questioned um, about the 1993 murder. I'm probably going to say her last name wrong. Of Holly Perenin. And she was a little girl who went missing in nearby Sturbridge, Mass. Yep. And when Holly went missing, Molly was about the same age. And she wrote a letter to Holly's family with the hopes that Holly would be found and come home. That's so sad. And it's just crazy that she was abducted and then their cases were connected for a little bit. Yeah. Um, We will probably cover Holly's case in a future episode. But um, one of the theories out there is that, you know, these two cases are connected. It is believed that Rodney and Molly could have met before also in uh, the weeks leading up to Molly's murder in the town of Southbridge. This is where Molly had to go to take her lifeguard certification classes at the YMCA. And Rodney's house is only three-tenths of a mile away from the YMCA. Oh. So he lived fairly close. And Molly's father would drop Molly off on Saturdays to her lessons on his way to his part-time job at a hospital in Southbridge. On the days that Molly finished early or if her father was working late, Molly would just kind of, like, walk around and she would go frequent places in town. So one of these places. Yeah, she would hang out in the area. Yeah, so she would go to this coffee shop a lot. And it was thought that, you know, she could have met Rodney along her way or here at this coffee shop. And And that's where you could have first seen her. Yeah, and he was just kind of nice and was talking to her. And come somehow just got her, you know, information that she was going to be working as a lifeguard at Commons Pond. So they kind of were just trying to throw some type of theory together. Um, so when investigators went to speak to him about Molly, he was in prison at the time for this murder of his girlfriend. Oh. So when they went to go question him in prison, they showed him Molly's picture and he pushed it away. He wouldn't even look at it. Oh. So, yeah, what does that tell you? Molly's sister, Heather, has written to Rodney numerous times, but he never responded. So, I showed you his picture. Yeah. Very, very, very striking resemblance. Yeah. So, he is definitely a... um, One of the top top suspects. suspects. So, in 2011, a man named Gerald Battistoni, I think I said that right. I don't care. He's a gross man. He was named a suspect in Molly's murder as well. Gerald had served time in jail for repeatedly raping a teenage girl oh in the 90s. God. So. That's fucking awful. Yeah, this guy's gross. Um, apparently, this girl he was repeatedly sexually assaulting lived on Commons Pond Road. So he could have been stalking this girl and came across Molly. Oh he apparently attempted suicide in prison after the media announced him as a potential suspect in connection to Molly's case. Um, and he tried to slit his own throat. <gasps> yeah. Oh, wow. And failed. That's... So his second wife reported that on the day of Molly's disappearance, he was working on her car, a white Chevy, and he had taken it for a drive around Warren. And when the news broke out about Molly, he shaved his mustache. Because I showed Amanda a picture yeah. of this guy, too, and he was like, if you put a mustache on that man, it'll look like that drawing. Yeah. So he shaved his mustache and he refused to leave his house. Fucking yeah. weird. So both these both these guys could definitely be top suspects. Like oh, absolutely. it could have gone either way. It's just weird circumstances. The fact that the first guy wouldn't even look at her picture though, that just yeah. like says a lot. And like authorities haven't really been able to get any information out of either of them. Not really, no. Well, oh. 
Hold on, I'll tell you about this guy. Let me take a sip of water. I, uh... So this guy shaves his mustache. Okay. Doesn't want to leave home. He had also been in the area where her body was found. And he also, like I just said, resembled the sketch. And, you know, he also has ties to the Holly Foreigning case. Apparently, the rape victim's mother was a real estate agent, and he and she had a home for rent near where Molly went missing. This ad had her name and photo on the sign, so maybe he was just, like, doing his stalking thing in this area. Like, maybe I'll see her or her daughter because she's going to be here. She's renting a house in this area, and he just came upon Holly. That's so creepy. Yep. Um, so he died in 2014. So nothing came about that. Yep. So police have identified a new suspect as recently as 2021. Oh, after following up on a tip that they received. Uh, Francis Frankie Sumner was named a person of interest, but he had already passed away in 2016. He was known to be an active criminal in the Spencer Worcester areas from 1960 to about 2016 and his death like a career criminal oh yeah local to the area part of his lengthy criminal history included kidnapping charges um unfortunately dna testing isn't an option because sumner's dna was never entered into the coda systems (gasps) what coda system sorry and his remains were cremated could they do like a like a genealogical dna with like a relative possibly or um i'm sure they could like a like a close relative DNA. I, feel I don't like even that's know what be the, one of the only ways that this case gets solved. I don't even so know what DNA they have long ago in this case. Like I don't even know what if they what, have anything from like what do Molly. they even have? Yeah. Um. I read in one article by the Boston Herald that says that Molly's father may have met his daughter's killer. <gasps> Remember, he was a probation officer and he worked at the East Brookfield District Court. Yeah. When Frank Sumner was on probation, this recent suspect. He had served time for kidnapping and aggravated rape of a 16-year-old girl, same age that Molly oh, was. Oh God. Um, so it's very possible that their paths like could have crossed. I um, like that. So Molly's funeral was held on what would have been her 20th birthday, August 2nd, 2003. Mm. Her burial was held at St. Paul's Cemetery in Warren, where they released a thousand butterflies in Molly's honor oh. and memory. So I love that little detail. Love that. I also love that it wasn't balloons. Yeah. Don't release balloons. Don't guys. don't release balloons. So today, over twenty years since Molly's body was found, or sorry. Yeah, actually it's been over twenty years since Molly's body was found yeah, now. It was two thousand three. It was two thousand three, yep. Worcester County District Attorney remains optimistic about finding her killer. Her case is still very much open and the Bish family has actually been demanding new investigators to take over Molly's case. They say that they have pretty much lost faith in the Worcester County District Attorney, Joseph Early Jr., and his team. They are concerned that the Worcester DA lacks the resources and doesn't push to use new technology to try and solve Molly's murder. Um, Molly's sister, Heather, has expressed her years of frustration and lack of communication between investigators and the family. I've listened to some podcasts where she's been a guest on them. Yeah, and, and but the DA is like, yeah, we're not passing this case to anybody, so yeah, you can forget ridiculous. that. Like, but stop being the gatekeeper and like let the family like be able to kind of help, not like lead the investigation, but like the family should have the right to be like, I, we want like a second opinion on this. We want someone else to look at this. Yeah, I mean they deserve 
at least that. Yeah. So the Bish family has worked to raise awareness of child abductions all over the world. Um, they have been pushing for law enforcement to refer to them as unsolved cases rather than cold cases. Yeah. And to encourage parents to have identity kits on hand that have copies of their children's medical records and photos. Yes. Um, so I'm going to try to not call them cold cases just in honor of like Molly and like her family and because like. I like that. I'm I don't like the term well. cold case now that I think about it either. It's, yeah, because it shouldn't be cold. It should still be fucking hot. We should still be focusing on this. So the family has not stopped. I the leads have turned cold, but like that doesn't mean you should give up on it. Yeah. The, pa- the family hasn't stopped and they won't stop pushing for Good. answers ever. Um, and with all these unsolved cases becoming solved lately, um, I'm hopeful that Molly's case will be solved yeah, one day. That's what I'm really hoping for. Lady I, of the Dunes. They might have some like, DNA that they're just not bringing forward. I'm sure police might have some evidence that they're keeping close to the chest. And we can only hope that we'll either get that or that uh, like we'll get a deathbed confession or a relative or somebody will know something. And Well, one of their main we'll suspects is already dead. The yeah. other's already, the other's in jail for life. So, um... We might get something. We might. I don't know. I hope so. Because, like, might. this case, like, how did nobody see anything? I know, right? I guess also um, I I heard in a podcast about this I was listening to that there was also, like, a sand delivery that day. So um, her mom was like, okay, there's somebody here. Like, yeah. and the swimmer should be arriving soon with their parents. Like, we're good. Like, she'll be fine. It was in a matter of minutes, which is fucking wild. And nobody somebody saw a thing. Was watching her mother drop her off knew and her watched routine. her mother leave and knew. Yep. And I hate that. Change up your routine. Don't do the same shit. It's be safe, guys. It's so fucking sad that just in a blimp of time, it was so fucking quick. Um. So. Molly's case is actually another that is featured in the Massachusetts State Police card deck that I always bring up in a lot of these episodes. Um, And the anonymous tip line for anyone with information about the abduction and murder of Molly Bish is encouraged to call 508-453-7575. And that is... I need to find a way to get one of those card decks. I know. I want one so bad. (laughs) Um, That is the Molly Bish case. and. I'm now more frustrated than I was I know, before right? I started researching this. I so. hate this. I hate cases like this where you just want more answers. But yeah, so we're going to leave it at that. So get ready um, next month for some December Christmassy yeah. themed episodes. Some Christmas stuff. Some history with Amanda. Yay! I love history with Amanda. It's going to be so much fun. Yay! All right. Well, stay spooky. Stay scary. And stay safe. Bye. Bye. Love you.